The power of ritual. What you do and how you do it feeds what you write and how you write it. February 2nd, 2022. The inspiration. The truth in the lie. A ritual is the enactment of a myth. And by participating in the ritual, you are participating in the myth. And since myth is a projection of the depth wisdom of the psyche, by participating in a ritual, participating in the myth, you are being, as it were, put in accord with that wisdom, which is the wisdom that is inherent within you anyhow. Your consciousness is being reminded of the wisdom of your own life. Joseph Campbell, The Power of Myth Your consciousness is being reminded of the wisdom of your life. I'm not sure if that's a typo where I found this quote transcribed, where it was attributed to Joseph Campbell from episode three of Bill Moyer's The Power of Myth series, but I like it. Reminded with a dash gives the sense that our mind doesn't just remember under the influence of ritual, it actually gets refreshed. A spiritual clearing of the cache so that you can connect with the very real things we can neither see nor prove, but which we know are there, because we just know. Reminding. That's what ritual does. We stop our increasingly automated and unconscious lives and do something specific with intent, utilizing a particular method, and that ritual connects us to some kind of unseen power. It reminds us, gives our minds a new way to work. I'm a person who believes in evidence, and when it comes to ritual, I have to say, I believe the evidence is in. The Fat Orange Cat, an extra sense. We work in this reality with three basic dimensions, five basic senses. But what if there are more? Imagine a world in which no one has a sense of smell, but you do. How would you get anyone to believe that your sense is real? How would you explain what smell is? Imagine now that there is a sense like smell that your character could have, but not be able to explain. And yet, it was as reliable as smell, and it led to reliable knowledge, the way smell can tell us that clothes are moldy or that a flower is in bloom. What's your character's extra sense, and how do they use it? The trope. Invisibility. Whether it's treated as a power or a curse, becoming invisible at will or by accident is a trope well we go to in our stories. From the Buffy episodes Gone and Out of Mind, Out of Sight, to The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, the experience of being both seen and unseen is something we return to in our stories over and over again. Recently, in popular discourse, when someone talks about something specific to one's experience, that person can talk about feeling seen. Parts of ourselves and our identities always remain cloaked from others, whether we deliberately hold back or others are just so wrapped up in their own lived experience that they can't comprehend what it's like to be anything other than what they are. Being otherized is tantamount to being unseen, unacknowledged, disrespected, dismissed. Visibility is a powerful trope because despite the fact that we think seeing is believing, most of the time what we see is only a fraction of the whole story. 
Sight is about so much more than what our physical eyes can perceive. And playing with invisibility tropes allows us to talk about in metaphor what we often don't think about in our daily lives. That just because we don't see something doesn't mean it isn't real and present anyway. The question, fan fiction. I would love to have your opinions on fan fictions. Fanfics, yay, nay, if yay, which are your fave? Stephanie. Dear Stephanie, I'm not sure if you're here on Dear Writer, but I'm borrowing this from where you asked on Patreon, where I'm answering patrons' questions with quick off-the-cuff videos. I'm bringing my answer here, and we'll also have a video of this answer forthcoming to post on Patreon, because it's such a great question. So, spoiler for the coming video, I actually feel very strongly about fan fiction. I think it's great. Fan fiction is treated like it's some kind of lesser version of regular or original fiction, when the reality is that the most celebrated writer in the Western canon, yes, the WC deserves a severe side eye, but we are where we are, wrote almost entirely nothing but fanfic. Yes, I'm talking about Shakespeare. Back in the day, all writers took the old stories and retold them because that was how those stories traveled. Everyone was constantly recreating the stories they had been told and reinventing them and reimagining them. I just did this the other day in a Twitter thread about Star Trek The Next Generation episode Sub Rosa, where I revised the whole episode to make it, you know, good. Now, the argument against fan fiction is that it steals intellectual property, and I get that argument. If an author creates a world and the characters in it, I can see that author feeling a bit miffed that someone else is playing in their sandbox. I can see it being especially galling if someone else is making money from that fan fiction, although my understanding is that monetizing fan fiction is generally not done for this reason. So those arguments honored and acknowledged, fan fiction is where we all start. Every writer starts out as a mimic, taking some piece of work they loved and creating new stories in that world because they love it so much. Fan fiction is how new writers honor the ones who came before them and how established writers know that their work has had an impact and created meaning for newer writers. Fan fiction feels to me like a ritual among writers, a rite of passage, a sacred apprenticeship. I think stories are sacred, and while yes, I get it, we live in a capitalist society and your intellectual property is yours, there's a space where, within bounds, fan fiction is a beautiful, powerful thing, and an honor to the original writer. That said, although some of the first writing I ever did was X-Files fanfic, I don't really read it anymore, so I can't recommend faves, except for the Buffy fanfic Here is Gone by Terry Boda, which I only know because Ian read it at the end of his podcast episodes. Here's his performance of the first 27 chapters. And in the letter itself, for those listening to the podcast, there's a link to his performance. Bottom line, fanfic is a time-honored writing tradition, and I'm all for it. No one should feel squeamish for reading it. Anyone who tries to make money off it should stop. And if you feel squeamish about it as a fanfic writer, just file off the serial numbers and make the story your own, which is also a time-honored tradition. And that has a link to Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James, which was Twilight fanfic. The Practical Mythology 
I've been listening to Stephen Fry's Mythos lately and really loving it. Mythology has been passed down through the ages and is the absolute definition of the first fanfic. These stories were told and retold and retold, and within them are hidden the very essence of what it is to be human. I talked about charging sigils in last week's newsletter, and our stories get similarly charged as we retell them. It's like the people who told those stories at the dawn of time left pieces of themselves in them. And as we access those stories, we access ourselves, the things that make us truly human. While I'm enjoying the Greek myths and finding interesting etymological gems along the way, I've also just bought audiobooks about Norse, African, Asian, and Native American myths. I want to hear all the stories and allow my mind to be globalized in a way that I have been, raised in a Western culture, actively discouraged from doing. My perspective on stories and storytelling is born and bred of Western thinking, and the idea of broadening my How Story Works theory to understand and honor storytelling from other cultures is kind of exciting. There's always more to learn. I have no idea what to write, so I guess I'll write nothing. February 5th, 2022. Dear writer, there was a big storm out here this week, a foot and a half of snow in the last 24 hours, which is not unusual for this area. I haven't left the house unless you count poking my head out of the front door to get the mail and seeing footprints in the snow I didn't shovel and sending a fervent apology out into the universe, begging to all male persons to please, please forgive me. This is why I'm moving to an apartment. I am a dreadful homeowner. Anyway, I'm sitting here wondering what to write, and all I can hear is the drip, drip, drip of the melt coming off my roof, mocking the fact that I don't know what I'm going to write about this week. Usually I can come up with something to write about. Some weeks are, I'm sure you've noticed, better than others. Some weeks I'm still thinking about what I wrote last week, and I can't write that again. So what am I going to talk about? What could possibly be even interesting about my life? I'm about to move, selling some things, giving other things away, setting the rest aside to take with us. Drip, drip, drip. You know how everyone is talking about mindfulness? Be in the moment, just breathe? Yeah, I've never felt a concept to be more, at its core, contradictory to my essence as a human. What, I should just sit? And what, be here? I'm here. Where the fuck else would I be? But while I'm here, I also have shit to do. The irony is that right now, when I have this to do, when I need to write a letter to you because it's 329 on a Friday afternoon, I also have to record it for a podcast and I don't know what I'm going to write about or how I'm going to get it all done in time. This is when the now sits with me. I am absolutely anchored in the now. The warmish glow of my computer screen. The fact that my desk is 10% desk and 90% clutter. The smell of the wood wicks with smoke-scented wax melting slowly in the warmer, making it smell almost like wood smoke in here. And of course, drip, drip, drip. I am listening to the dull clacking of the keys, feeling my silver ring sliding a bit around my fingers as they type. My mouse pad is not a mouse pad. It's an orange moleskin-style notebook that I haven't used to take notes in since I got my iPad with the Apple Pencil. It was a good notebook. Now, it's basically just a mouse pad. I wonder if it has a pervading sense of frustrated purpose. Does it wish for me to crack it open and write something on its pages? 
Or is it grateful that, unlike its filled-up predecessors, it's not stuffed in a dark drawer only to see light when I need a pen or a lightning cable? I am never in my life as present to the moment, to my surroundings, to my existence, as when I don't know what the hell to write. There is something about that experience of being in search of an unknown thing, rather than an active pursuit of a known thing, that brings me rushing back into this moment, this torturous, slow, purposeless moment when I don't really have time to not have an idea, because it's less than 24 hours before this essay and the podcast of this essay that I must record needs to be ready to land in your inbox. Not because you wouldn't understand if it wasn't there, but because I said it would be, and I try to be a woman of my word, like 90% of the time. Drip, drip, drip. The sound outside is muted from the snow. The traffic sounds that y'all hear in my podcasts are quieter, because everyone has been told to stay the hell at home, but some people either don't have a choice or don't think the advice applies to them. They have things to do. They know where they are going. I, however, do not. All I know is that I am going to sit here in the now of this moment, listening to the goddamn melt drip until I come up with an idea for this letter. Everything 